Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you take them please and turn to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Today we're going to be looking at verse 15, and as you know, we're in a series of messages entitled Passing the Torch in order to prepare our hearts and our attitudes and spirit in the transition that will be taking place soon as I retire and as our search committee continues the most important task of finding that next person to whom we can pass the torch. Uh, to lead us in the work of the Lord here uh, in our wonderful church and fellowship as well as in our city and throughout uh, our state and uh, eventually to the whole wide world. So we've been looking at uh, seven figures of speech, seven metaphors that Paul uses in the second chapter as he uh, writes this letter to young Timothy, uh, his son in the ministry, uh, and uh, it was believed, as I've said, Paul led Timothy to trust the Lord and accept him as his savior. The Lord uh, placed it on Timothy uh, to uh, follow Paul. Paul taught him, trained him uh, in the ways of the Lord and in the ministry, writing the church, uh, at, uh, writing to Timothy these books that are, uh, are called by his name, giving him words of encouragement and instruction uh, and inspiration as he assumes the, the leadership role uh, as the pastor of the church. And we've been looking at these metaphors. The first one in verse 2 uh, talks about being uh, entrusted with the gospel, uh, the idea that Christ uh, uh, passed to uh, Paul, the gospel ministry, Paul to Timothy. Timothy is to give it to trustworthy men and faithful men who in turn would give it to others. And down through the centuries, of course, the pass of the, the, uh, the torch of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ had been passed uh, from one generation to the next. And we are about to do that now uh, with our next pastor, whomever that may be. The next image is in verse 3, that of a soldier, that you're to be a good soldier uh, and to uh, not get sidetracked or go uh, A-W-O-L, A-W-O-L, absent without leave as far as your involvement with the Lord and your uh, involvement with the church. The third one has to do in verse 5 about being an athlete, uh, being disciplined and competing and winning the race. The fourth one is in verse 6 about the hardworking farmer and how you sow and then reap the harvest. A lot of hard work going into that. But today we're looking at verse 15. Verse 15 has to do, of course, with a workman or a person who works. So look at it in verse 15. It says, be diligent. If you have the King James Version, it's the word study. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. But here it is more accurately translated in verse 15. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Accurately handling the word of truth. The work that he's talking about here is explained in the last expression where he says that you are accurately handling the word of truth. And the word of truth that he is referring to is the Bible. That's what we call it. It's the word of God. And it is the perfect, completely, totally uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the complete revelation of God in written form. I hold in my hands the most unique book in all of the world. It is unique in its value, in its importance. Uh, it is unique uh, in its help to us. The psalmist said that it is to be more desired than gold. 
yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. It is the most valuable material possession that I own, and it is God's holy and inspired word. It is greater than the Koran, and it is greater than the Book of Mormons. It is the greatest book that has ever been written or ever will be written. It is like seed that the sower sows along the way. And when it finds the proper soil in which it can lodge, germinate, and grow, it produces life. It is a sword that we can use in our battle against the devil and in the spiritual warfare that we are involved in. It is the same sword that our Lord used when he was in the wilderness being tempted of the devil. And when the devil tempted him to do something that was contrary to the will of God, he responded by saying, quoting the words, it has been written or it is written, thou shalt not or shalt do this or whatever. So he used the Bible in his defense of the Lord. It is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path as we walk through life. You have heard of David Livingston, David Livingston, the great medical missionary doctor who gave his life in service of the Lord in Africa. It was said that when David Livingston started out on his journey to ultimately end up where he finished his, his ministry there, that he had with him 73 books weighing a total of 180 pounds packed into three packages. But as they traveled along after the first 300 miles, he began throwing away some of his books and continued to do so as the number of books decreased, becoming less and less, until he ended up with one book, the Bible, the Bible. That's the only book I needed. And I don't want to tell my wife that because I've told her all of my ministry that how important my books are and their tools and I'm trying to find a place where to put them. <laughs> I can't put them at home, but nonetheless, they are important. Amy Carmichael said, never let good books take the place of the Bible. Drink from the well, not from the streams that flow from the well. So here's the well, we drink from it. Someone has said, take the word Bible and use it as an acrostic, which would stand B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. And it is indeed just that. We need to be careful in preaching and proclaiming and teaching the word of the Lord. James tells us in his epistle, chapter three and verse one, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. I, I sometimes tremble at the thought of the day coming when I will stand before the Lord and give an account unto him for my ministry and for my service as a pastor and for the way that I have handled his word because I will have to give an account unto him for everything that I say and preach and teach from this pulpit or from any other place as a representative, as a pastor and a preacher of his word, as all of us will be. The Bible warns us that in the latter days, there would be those liberals who would lead us astray from the truth of God's word. 
And therefore, it is essential that we protect and preserve and guard the word of the Lord that it not fall into the wrong hands. Pray that the search committee would find the right person uh, to place the care and the responsibility of teaching and preaching from this pulpit and, and from every area of our church's ministry. Uh, that that individual would come and pick up the torch and continue to be true to the word of the Lord and be a good workman there as well. You'll notice in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're in verse 15, but look at verse 16. Verse 16, after his encouragement about being a good worker of the word, he says in verse 16, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness and their talk was, was spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. And he's a making a reference here to those in verse 19. He says, nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows who are his. So he names two individuals in verse 17 who were false prophets who were false teachers. And uh, throughout his epistles to Timothy and in other places, Paul warns about the day when uh, there would be those who would come in and try to lead the congregation away down another path than that which is laid before them. And so the Bible is extremely important and uh, we need to guard it and protect it and preach it and teach it for the truth that it is. This book that I hold in my hand is unlike any other book in the world. It is the most unique book in its origin, in its nature, and in its function. It is not a science book, and yet a scientist can use it to discover the mysteries of life. It is not a philosophy book, yet it contains wisdom that cannot be comprehended by the philosophers of the world. It's not a history book. And yet it reveals the true history of mankind. Someone has said that the word history could be repronounced as his story. It's not a sociology book, and yet it can tell you how to get along with your fellow man. It is not a math, math book, and yet it testifies that the world cannot exist without order and form. It is not a psychology book, and yet it tells us that man's greatest problem lies within himself. It's not a chemistry book, and yet it tells us that he who made this universe also holds it together. Nor the book in the other world is like this book. It's the only book that convicts you of sin. You can pick up any other book, read it in detail, memorize it. It will not convict you of sin as this book will. It is the only book that reveals God's love. It is the only book that speaks of Jesus Christ. It is the only book that can comfort satisfactorily the bereaved in the time of their sorrow. It is the only book that sheds light upon the dark path of man as he leads him through the world. No other book in the world is like this book. It is divine and yet human. It reveals the thoughts of God in the language of man. Its truths are the most sublime, but its language is the simplest and the fullest. Nor the book in the world is like this book. It was born in the heart of God, given through the hands and minds of men, and interpreted by the Holy Spirit. 
With that in mind then, I want us to look at our outline and the teachings of verse 15. There are five basic thoughts around which I wish to develop the message today as we think about being a worthy worker. Uh, as Jonathan in the introduction uh, of the message on the, on the screen talked about uh, the idea of work, uh, how that Adam was a worker, God was a worker too, you know. It, it tells us, in fact, in the Psalms, it talks about, we know that God spoke and everything was done and created, but the psalmist said and makes reference to the work of God's fingers that God spoke and he molded and made. And so God was a worker. In fact, it tells us in Exodus chapter 20 uh, that the first six days of creation, God made and created everything. But then on the Sabbath day uh, that he rested and that we likewise are to do our work six days of the week, and the seventh day he was to rest. And of course, we don't rest on the seventh day. The seventh day is Saturday, but we, we worship the Lord on Sunday. This is the first day of the week. And the reason why, of course, is we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who was raised on the first day of the week. And as we understand it, the Christians of the first century began worshiping the Lord on the first day of the week in honor of and in celebration of the resurrection of Christ. So every Sunday, in essence, is Easter Sunday for us. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the first day of, of the week. It's to be a day of rest, and the rest of the week we are to work. We take this concept, Jesus was a carpenter by trade, Paul was a tent maker by trade, but to take the idea of work and what is involved in work and applied in how we're to handle this very valuable and precious word of life that we call the Bible. The first thing that I point out to you then has to do with what is our main vocation. What is our main vocation as a pastor and also as a Christian? And our main vocation is to be that of a workman, a workman. And uh, some translations render this as a good workman. You could repronounce it, a man who works. Uh, whether we, you know, we never think about reading and studying as, as being work, but it is. You, you try preparing a sermon. And you try standing before a crowd of people and, 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 and try to explain and preach and proclaim the word of the Lord knowing that the weight of the world, in a sense, lies upon you. That if I mispronounce something, mislead something intentionally or unintentionally, that somebody's future could rest upon that. The Bible says that it pleased the Lord through the preaching of the gospel to save souls. And so I have to be careful as I spend time in studying and understanding the word of the Lord so that when I stand in this pulpit that I can try with the aid of the Holy Spirit to explain it in a clear fashion and an understanding way that even the simplest individual could grab hold of the truth of the Lord and if they've never been saved to do so. You know, that's a tremendous responsibility. The same thing is true about a Sunday school teacher. And, and, and I, I know our, our, we have wonderful teachers in our Sunday school who spend time studying. And I, I hope you do. I hope you're not a Saturday night Sunday school lesson pre uh, preparer. Uh, don't, don't wait until the, how would you like it for me to, to wait Saturday night to see what I'm going to preach on? I'm already thinking about next Sunday and, uh, and, and trying to how I can make them shorter and all those kinds of things. <laughs> but, you know, talking about that, I... I don't intentionally try to be long-winded in my sermons, but I love this book, and I love to study it. 
And I love to stand and, and help people to understand it. And nothing thrills my heart more than to know that the Holy Spirit has blessed the message. And I hear people say, you know, I learned something today. I was inspired today. I was encouraged today. Uh, and and, and, and not, I'm not trying to get praise and honor and glory. I'm not worth that. It's all for the Lord. It's all for you. That I have the responsibility to study and prepare and to feed you spiritually. The problem, you know, Jesus said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness. So it's not necessarily my problem of getting prepared. It's getting you hungry enough to want to be fed, you know. And, and so that's what it's all about. To sit down. This is a table where I can serve the meal that the Lord has prepared for you to receive. It takes a lot of work. Hard work. I explain to people sometimes when they ask me about preparing sermons. You know, to me, preparing a sermon, get, getting ready to preach, is kind of like a woman having a baby. You know, sometimes when it gets ready to be delivered, the delivery comes quickly. Other times, long hours and hard labor. And preparing a sermon, sometimes, you know, I, I can get an idea just like that, and boy, it just falls right into place. And other times, it's a long process, struggling, painful, mentally, spiritually, trying to find and discern what God want, wants me to say and how to say it and so forth. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's not just labor for you women to give birth to a baby. It's hard labor. And it's not just work and being a good workman. It's hard. It's difficult. And, and so he, he said that, uh, that you ought to, in fact, the word work or workman can also be translated labor, a laborer. Uh, it, it, when it's properly done, it, it entails a great deal, a great deal of work. Uh, you know, Jesus said to, to uh, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said three times to him, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And so that's what I try to do when we gather here on Sunday to feed you. I know you're spiritually hungry and, and that you want to be fed, and I attempt to do that. And, and, and that for the, our Sunday school teachers as well, that we're, when, you, when you break open the word of the Lord and teach it, that you've prepared and you're doing the best that you can, and, and it, is, it involves hard, hard work. Notice the second thing. Not only our main vocation being that of a person who works and being a good worker, but our main spirit, our attitude ought to be one of diligence, diligence. Now, the King James Version of the Bible in verse 15 starts off with study. Study to be approved of God. Now, unfortunately, that, that limits the meaning of the word. Actually, it means to, to be diligent. It means to be zealous. I, I look forward to studying and I look forward to reading the word of God and preparing a message. It's one of the most exciting things that, uh, that I ever do. And it's because this is a living book and I have the, the living God in the person of the Holy Spirit to be my teacher and my guide. And, and I, I never opened this book that I don't think about J.B. Phillips in the, his introduction to his, his paraphrase of the New Testament in modern English. Where in the introduction he says, as I was translating the scriptures, I would, I would get shocks from the Holy Spirit much like trying to rewire a house without turning off the electricity. You just get shocked. It's, it's because it's the living word. This is not a dead book. If it's a dead book to you, you might ought to check up on your relationship to the Lord. Because the Holy Spirit causes this book. This book is full of life. 
and it just jumps out and breathes with life and it gives life and it's exciting. And one ought to be diligent for that. The word diligent means, uh, as I've given you different translations there, do your best. Do your best as a Sunday school teacher. Do your best. The New Living Translation says, work hard, make every effort. The Amplified Bible says, study and be eager and do your utmost in the teaching of God's word. So sermon preparation is extremely important. Bible teaching and Sunday school lessons likewise. There must be the persistent giving of maximum effort in everything that you do. You know, to study, those of you who, you've all been through school, uh, you've been through college, many of you, most of you have. Uh, you know how important the word study is? The reason, the grades that you make, whether it's an F or a D or A or whatever it is, depends on how much study you put into it. And to do that, you have to be disciplined. You've got to mark off the time. Uh, you've got to say no to other extracurricular activities that you wouldn't like to be involved in, but you know, hey, I've got a test tomorrow. I've got a test next week. Finals are coming up, and I've got to spend the time studying. And so it requires discipline, and it requires time, and it requires effort and determination and a goal set. It's not easy. And, and yet we are to do that every, every day. So discipline, hours, concentration, all of it is involved. You know, the Bible says over in the book of Acts that uh, the Holy Spirit led Philip down to witness to the Ethiopian eunuch. You remember he had been to, to Jerusalem. He was going his way back to Egypt and he was the treasurer of the queen, Candace. And he was reading from the prophecy of Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit led Philip over to uh, the, the chariot where the man was. And as they were moving along, he overheard the Ethiopian eunuch reading from the prophecy of Isaiah. And, uh, you know, he had to be uh, an educated man. Uh, whatever kind of education he would have received in Egypt would have been pretty good. You know, Moses was an educated man. His education came from Egypt. He spent all of the young years of his life, the first 40 years of his life in Egypt. And, and uh, you know, when he was called by the Lord uh, to go lead the, the, the people out of, out of the Egyptian bondage, he gave the excuse, well, I'm not a man of words. Well, that was a lie because he was a man of words. He had, he had been taught in the Egyptian schools and by the Egyptian teachers. He was no fool. And, and I think that this Ethiopian eunuch could have been a knowledgeable person. But the problem was he didn't understand what Isaiah was saying. And, and Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And his response was, how can I unless somebody teaches me and shows me how? And so Philip, full of the Holy Spirit, got in the chariot and, he, and the man said, who is he talking about? Is he talking about himself or he's talking about somebody else? And it says that Philip opened the scriptures to him and began to explain to him, he's talking about Jesus. So here's an educated man who was totally ignorant about the things of God but was interested in wanting to know and here was Philip full of the Spirit explaining it to him. That's what we're to do. We are to work diligently, excitingly, with great ambition and enthusiasm. It's a living book that gives life to all. That ought to be our attitude. Number three, our main reputation. A workman who does not need to be ashamed. 
And certainly I, as a pastor, am not looking for uh, uh, accolades. I'm not looking for praise and, and, and credit and so forth. Uh, I, I'm not interested in pleasing anybody but the Lord. And uh, it's not that I don't appreciate encouragement and so forth. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I'm not in this business to get uh, myself built up as a, being a great person. I'm not. I, I'm a human being, and, and, uh, and I'm here to serve the Lord and give him all the praise and the glory. And, and so, but to say a workman who does not need to be ashamed, because I know that as I've said someday, I'm going to stand before God. And I'm going to have to give an account for the 35 years that I've been here as your pastor for every word I've said uh, and uh, everything that I've taught. And, and I, I know that I'm going to, I, I don't want to have to bow my head in shame and say, well, Lord, I was lazy and I didn't do my job. And sometimes people get upset with me because uh, they've got other activities going on and they want me to come over there and be involved in it and join this club and that club. And, and I'm not against doing all of that. But if I do that, it's going to take away from what God called me to do. You go back to the book of Acts in the sixth chapter when there was a problem in the church among the widows, some of them being neglected. And, and uh, so the, the apostles gathered the people together and said, look, uh, uh, we, we can wait on tables. That's not beneath my dignity. I can wait on tables. I can do this and that. But if we do, uh, then we're going to be neglecting the things that God called us to do, which was to spend our time in prayer and in the study uh, of his word so that we could explain it and proclaim it. And, and so uh, I, I don't want to be ashamed of shirking my responsibility. My first love and my first I perceive it's not that I don't care about you. It's not that I'm not going to minister to you. I hope for 35 years you know that I love you. You know that I'm there for you when you need me. So when you call me, it's not you're, I'm here to serve you. But my first and most important love and responsibility is this book. To study it, to pray over it, to prepare the sermons so that when I stand here in the pulpit, I won't shoot blanks from my gun, okay, so to speak, that I'm teaching the word of God to the best of my ability. And when I was ordained back in 1961 by my home church at First Baptist in Pittsburgh, I sat in a chair in front of a congregation and was quizzed, question after question asked of me about my doctrinal beliefs and whether or not I believed this to be the word of the Lord and was I committed to proclaiming it. And I'm honest, can be pleased to say that I answered positively in all of those things. And, and that has been my commitment through all of the years of my ministry. I've been preaching for 54 years, been a pastor for 51, been a pastor here for 35. This is not just something I've been doing when I came here in 1981. I've been doing it all my adult life. And I'm going to have to stand before God someday and give an account, not only for what I've done here, but in all of those 54 years that I've been preaching the gospel. And I hope that I'll not have to bow my head in shame, but I'm not going to lift it up in pride either because I am what I am because of the Lord Jesus. And that I've tried my best to work so that I would not be ashamed when that time comes. Number four, our main task, accurately handling the word of truth. The New Living Translation says, who correctly explains the word of truth. The New King James says, rightly dividing it. And the Amplified Bible is always, listen to it, who correctly analyzes accurately dividing, rightly handling, and skillfully teaching the word of truth. Now, the word accurately 
or honestly. The Greek word is orthos, O-R-T-H-O-S, from which we get our word orthopedic or orthodoxy. It means to literally to cut a straight line. It could be used of a seamstress uh, who's cutting out a pattern uh, to take the scissors and to make sure that it's cut along the line of the pattern. It would be used of a farmer uh, who is plowing a field. And uh, he, as I've told you uh, the other day, he keeps his eye, he picks out a tree or a rock or something on the other side of the field. And he keeps his eye on that so that he can plow a straight line. If he, keeps his, if he takes his eyes off of whatever his object is on the other side, he'll swerve all around all over the place. He won't plow a straight line, but he keeps his eye on that and he, and he plows a straight line. It's, it's used of a carpenter. And I, I, I admire um, carpenters, their ability to cut a straight line with a saw. <laughs> I've never been able to do that. Even, you know, I get my ruler out and draw the line and I look at it four or five hundred times. And, and so I get my saw out. I don't have a table saw. I do it all by hand. And it's just as crooked as it can be. But if you're a carpenter, if you're a good carpenter, how essential it is that you cut a straight board so that when you put them together, they all line up like they're supposed to. Uh, Paul was a tent maker uh, by profession. And, and that meant he had to take a knife or scissors or whatever sharp instrument that he had. And, and he had to cut leather and skin in order to fit together. And he had to cut a straight line. And he's taking that image and he's saying to us, when, when you take the word of God and, and you take it apart. And, you know, in the seminary, when, when we took all these courses about homiletics and uh, exe exegeting a passage, what you do is you take the word apart, word for word. And, and, and try to understand what the word means and how it all fits together, just like the pieces of a puzzle. So that you, can, that you can preach a straight line, that I'm not up here telling you a bunch of things that will lead you astray, but that would lead you in the straight and the narrow way, and that our next pastor would take that torch and do the very same thing, to feed you and to cut a straight line when it comes to the teaching of God's word. Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. So this book is the truth. You'll notice on your outline the four things that I've put there for you. We are to accept God's word as truth. This doesn't just contain truth. It is truth, folks, from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. All of it is the divinely inspired, complete, total revelation of the truth of God. And I accept it as such. I've never questioned the word of God. We need to interpret God's word as truth. We need to apply God's word as truth. We need to share God's word as truth. And so that is our main task, to accurately handle God's word. And then the fifth and the final thing is our main goal, to present yourselves approved unto God that you would be pleasing Unto the Lord. Notice what the New Living Translation says Present yourself to God and receive His approval. The Amplified Bible, present yourself to God, approved, that is, tested by trials. Because the word approved literally means it, it would be used of, of, of a metal that would be put in the fire to burn out all of the, the foreign matter to it so that it can be pure gold or pure silver. Uh, that it can be tested by fire and proven to be genuine. 
And that's what it means to be approved of the Lord, that you've been through the gauntlet, that you've been in the fire, that you've been in the difficult times and you've come out uh, on, on the right side and, and you've proven yourself to be true and tested by trials. The Living Bible says, work hard so God can say to you, well done, well done. And the J.B. Phillips paraphrase, concentrate on winning God's approval. So that's our goal, our purpose, not to please men, not to please ourselves, but to hear God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. As a pastor, as a future pastor, as a Sunday school teacher, as a deacon, as anyone who might have a responsibility to take this word and rightly divide it to feed other people. Remember the warning of James 3.1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. I will be held in a more strict way uh, for what I do with God's word and how I teach it and preach it than anybody else. All preachers will be treated that way. Sunday school teachers will be treated that way because when God calls you to be a teacher and a preacher, you get a tr more tremendous responsibility upon you than anybody else will ever have. And so you're to do your best as a teacher. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. When the drums of World War II were stilled and men turned hopefully to the pursuits of peace, they soon discovered that their dreams were turned into a nightmare. The Soviet Union launched a global effort to communize the world. The Iron Curtain came down. Eastern Europe was swallowed up and the Cold War began. Sir Winston Churchill was appalled by all of the turning of events after World War II. It occurred to him that the Bible had prophecies in it that might shed some light on his path as he sought to guide his people along those perilous times. But who would give him the light that he needed? After diligent inquiries, he chose a former missionary, a man by the name of Harold St. John, who was a gifted Bible teacher and one who was at home in understanding and explaining the prophecies of the Bible. And so arrangements were made for the two of them to get together and for Churchill to be taught by this man about the prophecies related to the world and its future. And so they spent quite a bit of time together. And when the two men parted at the end of their meeting, Churchill said to St. John, Mr. St. John, I would give half the world for your knowledge of the Bible. And St. John acknowledged his compliment and he responded, Sir Winston, I gave all the world to get it. I gave all the world to get it. To the work, we are servants of God. Let us follow the path that our master has trod. With the balm of his counsel, our strength to renew. Let us do with our might what our hands find to do. To the work, let the hungry be fed. 
To the fountain of life, let the weary be led. In the cross and its banner, our glory shall be while we herald the tidings. Salvation is free. To the work, there is labor for all, for the kingdom of darkness and error shall fall, and the love of our Father exalted shall be in the loud swelling chorus, salvation is free. To the work in the strength of the Lord, and a robe and a crown shall our labor reward, when the home of the faithful our dwelling shall be, and we shout with the ransomed, salvation is free. Toiling on, toiling on, toiling on, toiling on, let us hope and trust, let us watch and pray, and labor till the master comes. Let's bow together. Being a Christian and a preacher, or Sunday school teacher, a deacon or whatever it may be, just a layman, say just, laymen are important and lay women are important, just as real. And God, you will hold all of us, according to your word, responsible, no matter what our position or rank in life may be, that if we claim to know you, claim to have heard your word and don't stay true to it, deviate from it, wander away from its truths, We'll be held responsible for that. I don't want to have to bow before you in a shameful spirit and be disgraced for not having done what you've called me to do, Lord. Nor do I want any of our people here in this church and the responsibility and the yoke that has fallen upon them to be teachers and leaders of our congregation. And how even more importantly it is as the time comes for a transition when an interim pastor will come I pray, Father, that you'll help us to be open-minded and be receptive and not judgmental and jump to decisions because we don't like this person or that person or the way things were done. That's all so childish and so unimportant. What is important, Lord, is that we stay straight and faithful to you and that we keep our eyes on you and not stumble and fall, but that we'll be true to your word and that we'll lift it up because it is a book that is alive and gives life to all who will hear and to all who will accept. Even more importantly than the written word is the living word, your son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you for coming into this world and as the writer of Hebrews says, to make known to us uh, who, what God is like because you are the exact image and impression of him, just as you said to your disciples, Thomas especially, when he said, show us the Father and it will satisfy us. And you said, well, Thomas, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So may we not have poor eyesight. May we not be lazy in our commitment to you and to your word and to Jesus especially. And as we come to this time of invitation, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will have already begun to do your work on the minds and hearts of our people here today and as we enter into this time of invitation that you'll take full control bar the devil from this place keep him from injecting any kind of negative thought in any mind or heart of any person who's here that would hinder them from making their decision for Jesus empower all of us fathers to stand up and step out and to do your will is our prayer in Jesus name Amen Andre's going to lead us.
let's stand, please. And you, as we sing, you come if God has a decision for you to make.